Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? Uh, it's been a busy week. Uh, I know you've yes. had a busier week than I have, but uh, we had a couple events here in Nashville. At least I didn't have to get on the plane like six times like you did this week, but um, it was, it, it it was, was busy a lot. for everybody, I think. Anybody in the SBC, uh, we had a ton of people down here. It was good to see a lot of folks. I talked to both the first vice president and the president of the SBC this week, Steve Gaines. Walter Strickland were both here in town for the executive committee meetings. So I had a chance to chat with them. I know you were here as well. Uh, we were also down at Sing Conference down at yes. Brentwood Baptist uh, with the Gettys put on. So my boss spoke there, and Southeastern had a huge presence and, and knocked it out of the park. Tell us a little bit about that uh, for those that missed the Sing Conference. Tell us about what Southeastern had going on there. Yeah, so the Sing Conference was uh, the the Keith and Kristen Getty, uh, Getty Music Conference. Who wrote and the it Southeastern was- hymn. So yes, the correct. Yeah, that, that's for, the connection. Yeah, for there. the cause. Yes. So um, that that's been a really exciting uh, thing for us over the last year. Um, actually, yeah, last year and a half. And um, so we were a platinum sponsor, I believe, yeah. of uh, of that. And uh, it it was just a good it's just a good week. We got to you know so we sponsored a breakout, and that was the one that your boss. Um, uh, was doing Dr. Rayner and uh, Mike Harlan hosted that discussion and uh, on leading change in worship. Yeah, it was a phenomenal breakout. So our director of Persian leadership development, Kambis, did uh, his presentation there, and uh, it was just really incredible just being in the room when that was happening. So we just we got the chance to talk to a lot of people to sort of share uh, the heart of what's going on at Southeastern, and then uh, got to. Uh, it's always Wonderful. We sing for the cause a lot uh, on our campus, of course, but it's always special to sing it uh, with uh, Keith and Kristen. And uh, so it's just a just a great week, but very busy. You're right. Um, I was up at the executive committee both Monday and Tuesday and at Sing. So it's kind of back and forth from Brentwood Baptist to uh, the SBC building downtown. Great to see people at both places. I got the chance to connect with a lot of um, friends and colleagues at, uh, at both, both spots. We had another, another uh, jaunt to Florida for something that uh, Keith was, was representing Southeastern at and then back last night and into preview day today. So just a really, really hectic week. Yep. But a fun week, uh, a rewarding week. Really fun. And uh, yes. we, we had a great time at the executive committee meeting this week, Amy. And you know what we also had? Cake. We had cake. We also had a great tour of the, the archives. Yes, we did. Some of us uh, had a little more problem than others with the stairs. Yes. Um, for all of those who had, we did a Facebook Live um, that you can go to our Facebook page and watch. And if you don't have time, because it's about a 25-minute Yeah, it's about video. 25 it's a, minutes. It's a long tour around, but it shows some really neat things. So Picture I think it's Billy worth... Graham on Hee Haw, a letter yes. from Lottie Moon that Amy got to hold. Yes. Uh, so I did too, it's, but yeah. it's worth watching the whole thing. But if you only have a few minutes, I highly recommend you jump in there around the 24 and a half minute mark. Yeah. Um, cause there's just a great, just a great little segment, um, that we'll just, yeah. we'll just For leave some that of us, there. It was a great segment. For others, yeah, not please, so much. Please go, but, um, and check that out. But that was a really fun, really fun visit. 
so, and then we've we got an interview with uh, Taffy Hall that will play in the next uh, few weeks as well. So yep. that was fun. But I want to say hats off, Executive Committee celebrating its 100th anniversary, which is a big deal, and that cake was really good. It was really good. It yes. was really good. Well, uh, you mentioned the interview with Taffy Hall. We also got an interview with Dr. Moeller uh, from Southern. And uh, he's going to be on next week. We're going to talk about the Peace Committee, the conservative resurgence, all kind of stuff. Just had a fascinating time with him on Monday afternoon. Sat around and we got about a 20-minute interview and we wound up sitting in the room talking for almost another half an hour just about uh, SBC history stuff. It was absolutely fascinating. And I had a great time with that. Thanks again to Colby Adams and Dr. Moeller for taking the time and doing that for us. And, um, you know, they're our sponsor. And this week's episode is brought to you by the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Whether you're preparing to plant or revitalize churches in North America or take the gospel to places where Christ is not yet known, the Billy Graham School is committed to training the next generation of Great Commission leaders. Learn more about the Billy Graham School's MDiv, DMIN, or other degree programs today by visiting sbts.edu slash bgs. Again, that is sbts.edu slash bgs. Got a great interview in this episode this week uh, with Dr. Adam Greenway, who is the dean of the Billy Graham School up there at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Had a chance to talk to him about the state of higher education in the SBC, so that's coming up later in the show. And also had a chance to, to hear about the new apologetics program they've got at Southern uh, he's really fired up about that, excited about that. So he talks a little bit about that at the end of the interview. Be sure to stick around in today's episode and check out that interview. But Amy, on to the news. The big news coming out of the executive committee and actually heading into it was what were we going to find from the study committee uh, that was appointed to study the escrowing, withholding, or designating of cooperative program funds? And the results are in. Yeah. So back when this uh, when this news hit originally, and we were talking about it, and we had an interview with uh, Dr. Stephen Rummage uh, just about these these issues, we even asked the question, you know, if this kind of seems to get resolved or if things get worked out, what happens? And uh, he just basically said, well, that you know, that's a that's part of the whole process, and the committee uh, will still come back and make a report. And so that's where we are, is uh, the, the committee that was bringing the report in September. Yep. And what they found was that it was only 14 churches out of the 45,000 Southern Baptist churches who actually were confirmed as designating, escrowing, or withholding funds from cooperative program giving. They listed that uh, along with a few other details in the report, including that 22 states uh, after they talked to every state convention executive director in the SBC, that 22 states did not have any churches that were withholding, escrowing, or designating around CP. And uh, they, they estimated about 75 churches total uh, that had uh, said they were considering it. So uh, right. really only able to confirm 14 of them. And uh, they also listed 10 recommendations. And the recommendations we added to uh, sbcthisweek.com. You can go and check out the blog area there, read the full list of the 10 recommendations brought by the study committee uh, and a couple of the details that we mentioned as well here on the show. Uh, but th that one is uh, kind of put to bed now, Amy. Yeah, I think so. And, the, and, and that report is good for sort of documentation for understanding what all was going on. And, and as they said, they said that uh, they got reports from executive directors that totaled 75 churches, and that's about 0.0016% of Southern Baptist churches. That's not but a then, lot. Of, you aren't a math girl. 
but that's not, not at all, not at all. Um, but then they couldn't really quantify no. uh, the total by those seventy-five churches, and the fourteen number is that only fourteen churches were actually able to be identified and confirmed um, as escrowing, designating, or withholding funds. So fourteen, and I actually checked this out on my calculator today, is more like point zero 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 three. Wow. Percent. So three so, ten thousandths. Of a percent. Um, yes. Yeah, sure. Yes. I, Go with I, me on that. We've gone too far at this point. I did my calculator. <laughs> I did the decimal. I'm done at okay. that stage. But anyway, so that just gives, uh, kind of gives some closure to this particular uh, situation, at least knowing what we were looking at. And then they gave, as you said, some recommendations, which we'll post uh, at SBC this week. Also, some more CP news from the executive committee meeting. Uh, they've designated the first $1.25 million of any overage in the $189 million allocation budget for SEND relief in Florida and Texas. Uh, the executive committee is going to give away all of theirs, uh, and then the balance would be made up by the other entities. And um, we expect there to be an overage of about 5 to $6 million. So a little bit of that will be used for send relief uh, to help NAM out down there in Florida and Texas uh, and, and possibly elsewhere. Uh, we don't know. Hurricane season is not over yet. They also decided to redirect that the overage that normally goes to the International Mission Board after all the dispersing um, of funds the overage that typically goes to IMB will go to international disaster relief initiatives yeah. uh, in the Caribbean. Yeah, so, they've really been pounded. Uh, yeah, goodness, that's been awful. Um, so this was a a, a focus that w shouldn't surprise us. I mean, disaster relief is um, sort of a it's it's a mercy ministry that is very much part of who we are, and so not just in kind of those departments uh, at NAM. Um, or at IMB, and not just with those volunteers, but with the SBC as a whole, this is on everyone's mind. Yep, and Kevin Ezell mentioned in his uh, report the other night that more than 50% of the funds coming in for disaster relief right now are non-Southern Baptist funds. So uh, they are reaching out among the uh, general public, not just Southern Baptist, and they are giving to Sin Relief. They have some commercials that will start playing nationally and regionally as well uh, to help raise funds for Sin Relief. So uh, we'll keep an eye on those. If you see one of those, uh, you know, get a picture of it on your TV, tag NAM, and uh, check it out. We we tweeted out one of the samples the other night that they showed at the executive committee meeting, a, a great little commercial there. Uh, NAM's doing great work with disaster relief, thanks to David Melber and all the folks over at Send Relief. Amy, we mentioned the executive committee marked its 100th year uh, with a birthday party the other night. There's a picture on Baptist Press of Allison Young. She's big time now. She is big time. There she is, man in the cake table. It was a, it, but did you see she put a picture today? I think it was on Facebook of her holding the Lottie Moon letter. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, yes. So there, there she is, uh, on that story, as well as, um, executive committee members, uh, just spending time together at the reception. Uh, Dr. Frank Page giving his report and the picture of Stephen Rummage uh, presenting a framed uh, display that honors the six presidents. Yeah, that was um, something that yeah. neither, I don't think I had realized. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I was sitting with you and Kevin Ezell at the time whenever they, they displayed this and we were both a little, at least Kevin and I, were a little surprised that there'd only been six presidents of the executive committee. 
Yeah, I mean... In 100 years. That's long tenure. Yeah, I guess so. You know, but a lot of times when you get people at, you know, this level of leadership, they, they're in there for a long well, time. But I made the point to Kevin that he was the third president of NAM in under 20 years. Um, That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, that's- you know, it's happened. And LifeWay's had nine presidents in its 125 years. A little bit lower average tenure at LifeWay as well. So, yeah, I, I just didn't realize there'd only been six. I was a little surprised by that. Right. All right. Well, speaking of Frank Page, he was on your campus earlier this month on September the 7th. He spoke in chapel and had a young leaders panel uh, led by John Aiken, uh, who's the uh, director of Young Leader Engagement for the North American Mission Board. And uh, your boss was on there as well. Yes, that was a great uh, a great day all the way around. Um, Dr. Page did a, a Facebook Live, a, a conversation with uh, Jim Shaddix that morning uh, that we we posted, and is still there on our on our Facebook page. Um, and then preached in chapel, and then we went into a luncheon. And this panel was very good. Uh, they just kind of talked through issues in the SBC. Uh, today and uh, talked about the cooperative program and then opened the floor for questions and it was just a it was just a really really good day all right also down at new orleans they uh, lifted the banner on the expository preaching center named after adrian rogers dedicated that in a september 12th chapel service uh, yeah, so this is a brand new center. Adam Hughes, uh, who's also dean of the chapel at New Orleans Seminary, he's going to be the the director of the center. So really exciting stuff. It's partnering with uh, Love Worth Finding, the ministry that still you know provides resources um, from Dr. Rogers. So it's uh, really really great. They're going to have a um, preaching conference in January with two of my favorite, favorite uh, preaching professors, uh, Jim Shaddix, who is here at Southeastern, and Robert Smith. Oh, yeah. Who's at Beeson. Yes. And he is just one of the kindest men I've ever had the pleasure of being around. And uh, I just, I think he's a phenomenal, um, phenomenal man and preacher. So that's going to be a great preaching conference. You know, uh, for for our, our life being the way it is, um, I think getting down there would be difficult, but I hope that that's going to be streaming online. Yeah, it'd be great if we could be able to watch that. Always a pleasure to see Dr. Smith or Dr. Shaddix preach. Uh, Amy, there's a another story here from Kentucky. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but I do know that you and I had talked about this when it happened. Uh, but uh, last month, in August the 24th, Ruthie Carolyn New uh, was found murdered in a church in Somerset, Kentucky, and uh, Dwight Mitchell Bell has confessed to robbing and killing her uh, three weeks ago, according to the police in Somerset. Yeah, that was she was the widow yeah. of the pastor, and that that was a terrible, uh, terrible story. And uh, it indicates that she cleaned the church. Now, I want to just point something out: how really beautiful that is, because she was a charter member of the church. Her husband had founded the church in 1973. It was a mission. Um, church, and then he died in 2012, and she stayed an active member. And it says she was the church custodian. She cleaned the church on Thursdays, um, so she just completely supported the church and the new pastor. But that is, uh, it, it looks like that's likely why she was there um, when this happened. So mm. this is just kind of an awful, yeah. awful story. But our prayers certainly go out to uh, her family and to that church, uh, because I know they're just going to continue to be some, some tough, tough times. That's going to bring us to our interview with Dr. Adam Greenway. On last week's podcast episode, we talked about Carson Newman and adopting the BFNM and part of their uh, standards and regulations. Uh, Dr. Greenway expounds on that, why it's important, 
and also on the history and future of higher education in the Southern Baptist Convention as it relates to state conventions. Joining us this week on SBC This Week is Dr. Adam Greenway. He is the Dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Greenway. Thank you, Jonathan. How great to be with you again. All right. We are here at the Executive Committee building uh, this week. We're at the Executive Committee meetings here in Nashville. Uh, you're down here. A lot of people from all over the country are here. And we want to sit down and talk with you about higher education within the SBC, specifically within the state system. Uh, you know, the seminaries are a little bit different than national entity type of things. But uh, within the state system, you know, kind of give us an overview of why state conventions are involved with higher education and how that's benefited Southern Baptists in the past. Sure. Historically, college education was a ministry of the state uh, Baptist conventions. The uh, oldest of those historically affiliated is uh, Kentucky-based Georgetown College, the oldest Baptist college west of the Allegheny Mountains. And um, in the 17 and 1800s, many state conventions were involved in helping to start state Baptist colleges. And of course, it was out of the Baptist colleges that came the first of the Southern Baptist Convention Seminary, Southern Seminary, founded in Greenville, South Carolina uh, in 1859, out of what had been the theology department of Furman University, where James Pettigrew Boyce, our founder and first president, was a faculty member, gave his famous inaugural address, Three Changes in Theological Education. And for much of the 19th and then into the 20th century, there was kind of this understanding of the National Southern Baptist Convention engages in graduate and doctoral level uh, education, and at the state convention level, the colleges did undergraduate education. Things began to change uh, late in the 20th century, uh, most notably when uh, Alabama Baptist-affiliated Sanford University started Beeson Divinity School in 1988, which was the first uh, foray of an undergraduate uh, Baptist college into graduate uh, divinity education. They were going to be offering the Master of Divinity degree in direct competition with, it was perceived at that time, the six SBC seminaries. And we see that at other schools now. I mean, yes. they're not the only one. I know that Anderson no. has one. Um, even uh, some of the schools that are previously affiliated with the SBC, maybe no longer Baylor, Mercer, different schools like that. Yeah, and a lot of that was was driven both by the fruit of the conservative resurgence where uh, in many of the state conventions, the state Baptist colleges were unsympathetic to the trajectory of the national convention, uh, beginning with Wake Forest University, I believe, in 1986. State, some state Baptist colleges began separating from their state convention, changing their charters, electing their own trustees, going their own uh, direction, uh, as, as it were. And the breakdown really began in the 90s when many of the SBC seminaries started uh, full-blown baccalaureate programs. New Orleans Seminary, I believe, was the first to, to do that. You have a, had a situation developed to where uh, every educational entity was trying to do as much as they could to perpetuate what they saw as their mission with their particular theological identity. Uh, and frankly, um, a lot of the uh, comity that existed between state conventions and the SBC, between state Baptist colleges and Southern Baptist seminaries, began to uh, to erode. There was a time where, at the Southern Baptist seminary levels, like Southern Seminary, where I serve, where the state Baptist colleges were the greatest feeders of our students, uh, that's no longer the case. And in many cases, uh, colleges wanted to keep more of those students uh, for themselves, so they started MA programs, few with an MDF program, those kinds of things. Yeah, we also saw probably students from the state Baptist colleges getting degrees. If they did go, you know, into ministry, they, they would go to places more, you know, Wheaton or Trinity or, you know, some broader evangelical type seminaries. It wasn't quite uh, the Baptist loyalty, I guess you could say, from 
state college to seminary. That's exactly right. One of the, uh, again, I think byproducts of the conservative resurgence was uh, it served to break down some of those historic ties because as the seminaries moved in a more conservative direction, many of the colleges were resistant to that. And so they didn't want to see their graduates go to any of the SBC seminaries. And so they would start sending them to Duke University, Princeton, those kind of institutions. Or again, they would start their own programs to try to keep those students there uh, within the confines of that religion department or that uh, college setting. And we've seen not just in the, the 80s, 90s, you know, and, and decades from then, schools moving away from their ties with state conventions. Uh, that That's kind of continuing today. I mean, we, we saw just a few months ago, Sanford is withdrawn from state funding down in Alabama now. Uh, and, and there was rumors of other schools possibly moving toward that. But then Carson Newman happened a, a couple of weeks ago. We saw where Carson Newman said that they were going to take the Baptist faith and messaging. They were going to incorporate that into the institutional policies. We, we've seen that with Shorter. We've seen that with at Cedarville, uh, most, most notably in recent years. So there is kind of a conservative resurgence, I guess, happening on the higher education level to some extent in some pockets of the SBC. And I think a lot of that has been driven by a couple of different uh, factors. One is... Um, many of the apocalyptic predictions about what the conservative resurgence would mean in terms of uh, education uh, in Southern Baptist life have not come to pass. There were those who, for example, predicted that um, when Southern Seminary uh, was uh, electing Dr. Moeller as president, the seminary would decline, would die, and it's now achieved a period of record enrollment. Oh, yeah. 5,500 uh, 5, 5, 5, students okay. across our programs. Um, and I think that that has been uh noticed by people now almost 25 years since he was elected president to where at the state baptist level um honestly there's been in many cases a revitalization of the state conventions as new executive directors are called as uh pastors who are graduates of post conservative resurgence sbc seminaries are moving into some of the historic churches or are planting churches and they're now serving in state convention life and they want to see happen at the state convention level in some ways, particularly with educational entities, many of whom are still receiving millions of dollars of cooperative program funding, that there is a greater accountability and a greater stewardship of those funds. And especially when, thanks to the Great Commission Resurgence uh, Task Force, there's been this concerted effort of state conventions trying to get to a 50-50 split with the national SBC. In many cases, that has meant making some hard calls about how state convention funding operates. And it's becoming, I think, an increasing point of stewardship of saying, can we afford to send a million dollars to our uh, historically affiliated State Baptist College, who may or may not be in theological alignment with where the churches of this convention are when there are church planning needs, there are international missionaries we need to fund through the IMB, there are other things that we want to make sure we're stewarding these dollars well. I think it's forcing some significant uh, conversations and choices. Well, you talk about those those changes and those decisions that are being made. Uh, you know, depending on who you talk to in what state, because every state's different, because here in Tennessee, we have Union University, very strong ties to the state convention. Now Carson Newman with them moving into that. Uh, but say another state may not have that. What would you tell the person that says, you know, we just need to get out of the higher education business altogether in the state conventions? I think if it becomes apparent that the higher educational entity within the state is irredeemable in terms of having a posture that is going to be helping to advance the cause of Christ in the context of a thoroughly Christian worldview-based liberal arts education, then I think that may be the, the, the direction that they need to go. 
because I think the the precious stewardship of mission dollars from churches it's, it's opportunity cost. At a very fundamental level, you're having to convince a local pastor and a local church, we can do more with this dollar to steward it and shepherd it well to advance the things your church believes in than you can do in and of yourself. That was the historic argument behind the cooperative program. But if you have evidence of faculty members teaching things that are not in conformity to uh, Christian uh, faith and practice or taking positions that are at odds with where the state convention or the convention of churches have identified themselves to be, it becomes problematic. And the, and the, 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 the defining issue, I think, of our time, of course, is the issue on gender identity and sexual orientation. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because we've seen that at Cal Baptist recently, yes. uh, most notably, yes. uh, and, and what they faced with the Senate bill out there that eventually went away. But there were several evangelical schools, not just Cal Baptist, uh, there being, you know, the SBC went out in California, that were facing a possible crisis. I, I don't know if that's too over, that's overstating it, but um, because of evangelical beliefs on sexuality, that that's kind of the next frontier, I guess, in the, yes. the battle for in higher education. And part of the challenge here is almost all of these uh, state Baptist colleges participate in federal uh, funding, Title IV funds, uh, Pell Grants, Stafford loans, those kinds of things. And of course, when you take Caesar's money, you end up having to follow Caesar's rules. And increasingly, those rules are at odds with the convictional postures of the conventions of churches that have historically sustained these colleges. And in fact, uh, it was not that long ago, there were Title IX regulations that govern things like hiring, housing, admission, and, and such that were um, basically going to force colleges to be in positions where they would have to uh, do things in order to maintain their federal funding that would be in direct opposition to their uh, supposed confessional uh, posture. And in fact, uh, one of the ways that these institutions could apply for exemptions to those Title IX requirements is to demonstrate that they were under the control of or regulated by a religious body with an operative confessional posture that would preclude certain uh, moral or ethical uh, policies that could be forced upon them by the uh, governmental bodies. They're a religious liberty issue, Exactly basically. right. And so you have this interesting thing happening of where, in some cases, there were colleges that would have been moving away from, let's say, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which, of course, is the first historic Baptist confession of faith to include explicit statements on marriage, sexuality, and the family that were often criticized when by some when they was adopted in uh, 2000, now is being embraced because it provides confessional protection on some of these critical issues that now governmental bodies are trying to regulate. Now, and it doesn't just apply to federal funding. It probably also applies to accreditation. Absolutely, it does. Uh, the accreditors uh, themselves facing pressures from federal government, and I've served on accreditation visit teams and very familiar with accreditation processes. Um, if you do not have a, a clearly defined confessional basis that is not just symbolic but is operative and regulative in the life of the uh, absolutely right and an explicit tie to a a religious body in this case a convention of churches that is exercising oversight then there are vulnerabilities you have in terms of how you'll be able to uh, defend the Christian heritage and mission of an institution against these pressures and if you look across the board increasingly Many of these institutions have become so heavily dependent upon the federal funding because, honestly, the cooperative program funding and the Baptist uh, money has been declining for some time. All right, final question, off subject, but I want to give you a chance to talk about this. We, we talked about it last week on the podcast. 
new apologetics program yes. at the Billy Graham School. Tell us about that. And I, I know it's something you're really excited about. So tell us about that and, and what makes you so excited about that. I've been on faculty at Southern Seminary. This is now my 11th year, fifth year as dean. This is perhaps the most exciting development of my tenure at SBTS because we have brought together what were formerly two uh, distinct uh, and discrete apologetics programs under a single, singular unified apologetics uh, program in the Billy Graham School uh, a strong Master of Divinity degree, a new academic Master of Arts degrees, our Doctor of Ministry and PhD degrees, uh, Douglas Blunt, a Notre Dame PhD graduate, in my personal opinion, one of the premier living Christian apologists today, is leading our new Department of Apologetics and World Religions with a faculty including people like Ted Cable, General Editor of the Apologetic Study Bible that LifeWays published, sold over 350,000 copies, Timothy Paul Jones, a gold medallion award-winning book author of texts and apologetics. I'm an Ibrahim, an Islamic studies scholar who is publishing widely and making a significant impact and helping Christians know how to engage the religion of Islam. I believe we have brought together in the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary the faculty and the curriculum that will most effectively help pastors and people know not just how to defend the faith, but how to be able to articulate the gospel in a culture of compromise and confusion on even some of the most fundamental issues about who we are, where did we come from, what's wrong, and where are we going. All right, well, Dr. Greenway, thank you so much for sitting down with us and, and giving us this kind of overview of the landscape of higher education in the Southern Baptist world. We appreciate it, and uh, thank you for everything you do at the Billy Graham School. And if you want to find out more about the Billy Graham School, you can go to sbts.edu slash bgs. Thanks again. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for that, Jonathan, for conducting that interview. And thank you to uh, to Dr. Greenway for giving us uh, the time. Yeah, it's always good to sit down with him and uh, very knowledgeable about higher education here in the SBC. And we'll be keeping an eye out on Carson Newman as well uh, to see uh, what may come in the future as they move forward with the Baptist faith and message as part of their standards and regulations over there in East Tennessee. All right, Amy, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. We're going to go to 1981, um, and it's uh, it, it's actually an interesting issue of Baptist Press. Um, Aren't that they all? I, I, they are. I love this digital repository of all these Baptist Press issues and could just spend hours and hours looking at them. But we're going to look at this one from 1981, and we're actually going to go toward the end of, with this particular situation, but then I want to call your attention to another um, another article that's kind of cool in there, too. Uh, not the very end, but close, is uh, a story about the president of the Southern Baptist Radio and Television Commission, Jimmy Allen. Yeah, I was going to say Jimmy Allen. He had a meeting with Prime Minister Menachem Begin of Israel. Wow. I know, right? So he We've met— We talked about SBC leaders and entity heads meeting foreign heads of state here on the podcast yes. before. And here was another one. So he met uh, with nine other religious leaders. They met with him in an hour-long conference at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in um, New York. It was in between. So he had a meeting with um, President Ronald Reagan and then uh, met with these religious leaders and then was headed to Plains, Georgia to visit with um, with Jimmy Carter. And then uh, it, it says that he, that Menachem Begin, talked about in his uh, remarks to the group, he talked about a visit that he and Jimmy Allen had had in uh, connection with Israel's anti-bribery law hearings. And so I guess they had, I mean, they had spent some time 
um, together. So this was kind of a, this was a time when the uh, situation in the Middle East, we were extremely involved um, in this because this is not the first, um, the, as you just said, the first time we've seen folks meeting with uh, heads of state, but this was one I didn't know. So it was also um, David Simpson from the National Council of Churches, um, Arch Buffkins, uh, you know, se- just several, several groups, the editor of Christianity Today, groups of people who were in, you know, uh, it looks like maybe some nonprofits or some ministries uh, of support for Israel. But right in the middle, there was Jimmy Allen from the Southern Baptist Radio and Television Commission. So it's interesting because, as, I, as I've said, I learned that we, we, we don't invent anything. You know, uh, we, there's all these different religious councils or groups, and we're sort of watching and we think we're seeing something for the first time. But the truth is we're, we're not. I mean, here was this group that was meeting together um, in between meetings with two presidents of the United States, a current and a former, and uh, encouraging the prime minister of Israel. And it all happened this week in SBC history. Wow. That's kind of neat. There's another story at the end, Amy. I don't know if you saw this or not. Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. The dateline. David Funderburg, yes. professor of history at Campbell, was nominated as the ambassador to Romania. I, I looked at that while you were talking. He was confirmed to spend that. four years as the ambassador to Romania. We had a Baptist history professor sent to, as the ambassador to Romania in the 80s. I know. I did Cold see War that. Cold Romania. And I actually thought about Ceausescu, doing that one. Romania. I actually thought about doing that one, but then I still wanted to do the one about meeting with Menachem Begin. You just like saying Menachem Begin. I know, I do. Um, the thing is, I didn't, that wasn't even the original article in this issue of Baptist Press that caught no. my attention. The Waltons? It was, it was the first one. It was the first one Are about... the Waltons Baptist? Yes. So, <laughs> I was a huge fan of the Waltons night, when John I was Boy. a kid and loved it. And so it was this story about uh, Earl Hamner, who is the one that wrote the book that the Waltons was based on. I didn't know it was based on a book. Yes, The Homecoming. Oh, I need to check that so, out. And he's like the John Boy character, I think, was yeah. sort of based after him, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was a story on him and that his family um, was, they were Baptists. And it says there's no Walton family and no Walton Mountain, but a mountain family of eight redheaded children did grow up here together. There's a nearby Rick Fish River, an Ike Godsey store, and there's a Baptist church. And they were members of this Southern Baptist congregation in real life, the family that the Waltons were based on. So, honestly, that's the thing that jumped out at me in this issue was that the Waltons were Baptists. But I felt like the other things are just a little bit more kind of news making. Yeah. So, so check this out. Go to this link. It's a September 21, 1981 uh, Baptist Press issue, and it is just chock full of stuff. Oh, and there's other stories in there as well. Um, it, was, it was a solid, solid day for Baptist Press. Yes. Wow, what a day. You worked the Waltons, the Prime Minister of Israel, and an Ambassador of Romania all in the same edition of Baptist Press. That's, that's, a, that's a job well done. Yes. Thanks for those, Amy. That, that's a, those are fascinating. I mean, I, I know. never did I think the Waltons would wind up in Baptist Press. But hey, you know, Billy Graham was on Hee Haw, as we saw this Everything week. Everything ends up in Baptist Press. It does. It really does. Yeah. Yes. So, 
No pressure, Sean uh, Hendricks over at Baptist <laughs> Press. You, you, you haven't had the Waltons in Baptist Press in 36 years. So, all right. Well, that's going to move us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is the Global Hunger Relief website uh, for all your global hunger relief related items. Global Hunger Sunday is coming up in just a couple of weeks, October the 8th. Uh, so you can get all the information you need uh, and uh, to be able to promote that, collect a global hunger offering at your church on October the 8th. So uh, go over to globalhungerrelief.com, click on the links over there, and uh, prepare for Global Hunger Sunday coming up on October the 8th. Amy, your resource of the week is? Uh, mine's a new ebook that uh, Southeastern has put out on uh, Christology. Ooh. And it's taking chapel messages that were preached during the spring 2017 uh, semester and then uh, turn them into, you know, uh, just kind of a compilation of those messages. So it's things from uh, Danny Aiken, Matt Carter, H.B. Charles, Ligon Duncan, J.D. Greer, Johnny Hunt, David Platt, and Afshin Ziafat. You know who else spoke in, in spring of 2017 that is not included? Tom Rainer? Yeah. Did he preach on Christology? I don't know. He was there for a lecture series. Yeah, I know. But These were Christology sermons. Okay. Anyway. And so it's free. It can be downloaded at sebts.edu slash ebooks. So wanted to uh, to share that. And that's kind of a cool little resource at sebts.edu slash ebooks. Well, Amy, we, we had some kind of some sad news that didn't really make it into any of the Baptist Press stories this week. So uh, we're just going to tack that on here at the end. But we lost a few faithful brothers and sisters this past week. Yeah, just a really a really tough week uh, where we seem to see a lot of uh, a lot of this. Uh, obviously, one that many people saw was uh, the apologist uh, Nabil Qureshi. He had uh, suffered from cancer and he died um, over the weekend, uh, I believe. And that was tough. There were some video uh, messages that he put out before um, that just really showed just such a, a strong faith all the way to the end. Um, yep. Obviously, the pain uh, for his family, uh, for what was coming. I saw some pictures today on Facebook um, from the Sharp family. Mary Jo and Roger Sharp uh, had, had put some pictures up of sort of the celebration of life. So that was pretty incredible. But yep. um, him, as well as some pastors uh, losing their wives uh, this week as well. Yeah. John Bassanio, a pastor at First Baptist uh, Houston, a longtime pastor. And I think Pastor Emeritus at First Baptist Houston uh, lost his wife last Thursday, I believe. And then also uh, Ed Young Sr. lost his wife uh, on Sunday morning, at he's the pastor at Second Baptist Houston. So, uh, both of the uh, long-term pastors at First and Second Baptist Houston lost their wives uh, within just a few days of one another. So, uh, it's, been a, yeah. it's been a rough time for those in Houston. So, prayers uh, go out to the Bassanio family, the Young family, as well as uh, those uh, friends and family of Nabil, and also uh, a good friend of ours, Trevin Wax. His mother-in-law passed away in Romania this past week. I know he's headed over there. Uh, as well as his wife Karina has been over there for a while and uh, his mother-in-law had been suffering from cancer for a while and it's just a tough time and um, and a good reminder to to keep uh, those families in your prayers. Yeah, yeah, really tough. So, All right, well, that's going to do it for us this week on the show. Got a busy week in the SBC again next week, Amy, for the church conference up at Midwestern. I'll be headed up there early Monday morning. A lot of people from the SBC I know will be descending on Kansas City uh, for that one should be a great time up there in 
Kansas City. I'm looking forward to being back on the campus at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And you've got nine marks at the end of the week. Yes, end of the week, Friday and Saturday, um, nine marks. We are on the ninth mark. It's our ninth year to host this uh, on have leadership. To add one. Um, I, it, I don't know, uh, but night we're doing the ninth mark this time around. We'll see what's happening next year, uh, but it's going to be on leadership. Well, sounds good. Thanks again for joining us this week. A reminder, if you want to check out the recommendations, the CP study group made, those are on the website and thanks again to Adam Greenway and everybody up at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the Billy Graham school for sponsoring this week's episode. And, uh, Adam for joining us to talk about, uh, higher education in the SPC. We'll be back next week great interview coming with Dr. Moeller. And until then, we'll see you next week. See you next week.